Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. When I found you, I saw raw, untamed power. And beyond that, something truly special. Here we are. 
are back again. It's another episode of The Film Board on the next reel on Rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies, and tonight we will be spoiling one of the most spoil-free, well, legally speaking, films since this time in December-ish of 2015, or maybe last year, I guess, too, with Rogue One coming out. I don't know. It's all been so very hush, hush, hush about this new Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. And now we've all seen it, so we get to open up its milk carton and leave it on the counter for you over the next hour or so. And everybody knows what happens then, right? It's that green stuff that comes out of the weird-shaped animals. Oh, wait, that's the first spoiler. That's the first spoiler. Sorry, don't want to pull back. Okay, okay, great. Anyway, I am happy to introduce all of you out there to our host tonight. I can't remember the last time we all got together to talk about a movie, and it just seems fitting that we do so with this one at the end of the year. So much love for all my thugs. Say hello to Steve Sarmento. Uh, yeah, hi. I'm still holding for General Hux. <laughs> <laughs> Say hello to Pete Wright. It looked like the giant green sea monkey really enjoyed being milked. Yuck. How about you, Andy Nelson? <laughs> I'm doing good. I got my giant fish on my stick. These guys call me JJ, and you should too. You can find out more about all of us and this show and all of its sibling shows at thenextreel.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at The Next Reel to find out about all the fun shows we're pushing out to the podcastiverse. If you like all the good stuff you've found with us, you can get all that good stuff before everyone else by supporting The Next Reel on Patreon and get access to the show Drafts podcast feed. Check it out at patreon.com slash thenextreel. So let's get started. Which of us are feeling the pull of the dark side on this one? And which of us is holding strong in the light? Let's hear your initial thoughts. Pete, what do you think of the movie? I, I really regret that I'm going first because I feel like I'm being set up. I'm going to say it straight. I really enjoyed it. I, I had a, a great time uh, throughout. It was a bit chaotic in places. Uh, but I found myself, I really enjoyed the humor injected into it. I think, bottom line... I have been begging to see a movie in franchise that felt like a different director's vision, and I feel like I got it with this one. Well, I think that's definitely true. I, I think I, I want to hear how you think you're being set up. So maybe these other folks will kind of lead us in that direction. What did you think, Steve? So this is the sprawling sci-fi epic film that I have been waiting for. This is a sibling to Empire Strikes Back. It's firmly accepting its place in the mythic arc where the hero learns from the mentor. And I'm, I'm still fresh off this from this afternoon, so I'm still deconstructing and analyzing all these pieces, but my reaction is a very emotional one. And what I really appreciate about this is this is a film that's letting the past die, and in some cases killing it, to become the trilogy in the future that it is meant to well, be. Well, that doesn't sound like a setup. What did you think, Andy? I ended up uh, really enjoying it for the most part. I, I, um, I had a chance to actually uh, catch it twice, so I have been able to process it a little more than you guys have. Um, and I'm glad I did get to see it twice because the first time I felt a little more disappointed by it. The second time I was able to really think about what it was that disappointed me and find the great stuff. And the great stuff, I think, is so great in this film um, that I, it helped me realize, you know, the stuff that disappointed me is 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 not as big as um, as I thought it was the first go around. 
And so I ended up really, really enjoying it uh, after seeing it twice. So uh, that's where I'm standing right now. Well, that's interesting because that's kind of the way things went for me with The Force Awakens in that I wasn't super excited about it when I first saw it. I thought it was great, but it, it has really enriched the way uh, I feel about it as it sat with time. In this one, I, I've only seen it the one time and I felt a lot like some of the things you were talking about. There were some things that I really, really liked, but other than those things, I think that it fell really flat for me. For Watching this movie was a lot like watching two other movies in the Star Wars sort of canon. The first one is The Phantom Menace, and the second one is Rogue One. Kind of going back to some of the points you guys have already talked about, when we talked about Rogue One, a lot of us mentioned how this was the the space war movie that we really wanted, right? So this movie has that kind of feel, again, where this is the one sort of... Maybe it's a possible different genre that comes in that that people want to see as part of Star Wars. I didn't really need that in particular. So some of that stuff f- fell really flat with me. The other piece for The Phantom Menace, a lot of stuff that I saw in The Phantom Menace when I saw it, it, it was a fine movie. I was happy to see it because it continued the storyline of Star Wars for me. But in general, everything, every pin that was set up in The Phantom Menace seemed to be set up just for the purpose of knocking it down. And a lot of what happened for me in this film was that pretty much every Every storyline outside of the main force storyline felt like a setup to me, felt like deus ex machina, and that was really tough for me. When the majority of the plans and intentions in this movie fail, that a lot about the, a lot of what this movie is about is about failure or about doing something that's not going to work, that didn't resonate with me. That didn't actually give me anything to hope for as we went forward in the movie. So... Um, the way that we've kind of set up talking about this, as you look in the way that we've kind of talk, talked about in our notes here, is going into talking points. So I, I think we want to jump right in because it's a really long list. The first thing was the comedic start of Poe with Hux. And Steve, since you referenced that in your introduction, how did you feel about that comedy right up front? You know, it, it set a nice tone for me. And it's carried through from Force Awakens with that's that's just how Poe is. Because in Force Awakens, when it's like him and, and Ren at the beginning, he's like, so how do we do this? Who talks first? Do I talk first? Do you talk first? And it's just very much keeping in line with his character. So to me, it worked. And then the reveal of the fact that it's it's strategic. It's He's he's stalling. Um, yeah, it, it just set a tone to so that I knew how to expect the comedic moments, that it wasn't going to catch me off guard. I, I'm glad that was up front because if that comes later in the film where it's been so serious, then it puts the audience in that uncomfortable position of, am I supposed to laugh at this or not? And I think very clearly up front, that scene sort of set the tone that there are going to be some fun laughs in this movie to balance out a lot of the heavy darkness. And it to me, it just helped strike that balance. And that was uh, one of the issues I had when I first saw the film is some of that comedy just didn't work for me. And it, it started off that way. And I was like, oh, man, is this how we're going to kick it off? It was a little frustrating for me. Um, but as as I kind of took the whole film in, I was like, OK, yes, I'm, I'm remembering Poe had that kind of banter and and it they're they're pushing it, I think, a lot in this film, uh, especially between Poe and Finn. There's there's a lot of comedy between those two characters that sometimes I think works, sometimes doesn't. But in the end, I, I remembered, you know, OK, it, it's this this saga has always been called a space opera. It's always been big. It's always been. Um, you know, emotional and uh, reaching for you know the emotions as as big as they can, whether it's it's laughs or drama or everything, and that's kind of the way it is. And so, 
watching it the second time, I'm like, okay, I, I appreciate where they're going with this, and it didn't really bug me as much. So I, I do think it, it's an interesting tone to kick off with, but I do think it ended up working for me after the second go. Yeah, I'm with you, Andy. I think the the comedy, like I was really shocked at just how uh, sort of lowbrow the the comedic moments felt at the beginning. Uh, but I really got used to them. And in terms of things that didn't work in the movie, there are only two elements in the film overall that didn't work for me. And n- neither of them involved the comedy. Okay, well, that's interesting. Did you guys feel like, and we're going to sort of jump right into some of the other things with this, did you feel that the the strategy of delaying the opposition was used a little too much as what was going on in this film? Almost everything is a red herring with the purpose of just delaying the opposition to get away in some different way, right? So Poe is just delaying him with the humor at the front end. And then ultimately, when we get to the final battle, it's about a delay as well. Everything is a stall. The reason why I mention that is because this part, especially up front, this conversation, this really harkens back to this movie didn't feel like a Star Wars movie to me. And the tone of the comedy is one piece of that. But another thing about it is this really looks like a kind of, for me, these moments when we're stalling felt like a cheap homage to Star Trek. It felt much more like a Star Trek movie done poorly in these cases, where like you you look at what really happened in Wrath of Khan, which was basically this kind of thing, right? It was leading someone through a conversation for a stall for the big wahoo moment. And it was done so well there. And then we have all these points in this movie where we're just going to have it be, oh, he's tooling with you was the line from from The Last Jedi. Or, you know, as we go into the other bigger fights, they're all just things to stall for other pieces to move away. It never really, I don't know, it didn't feel clever or special to me. It felt redundant. I, I actually think it worked for me a little bit more uh, than that because, uh, you know, that he's tooling with me line says something really important and it introduces us to a new layer of personality that we have never seen particularly in in regards to the empire that in fact when they are not uh engaged in a battle that they are also people and uh one of the things i've learned over the last year i've read a lot of these books a lot of the star wars or star wars books that are in canon and uh, a number of them are from the perspective uh, where the protagonist is uh, in the Empire. And I have found that they they very much are people, and they are really trying to capture the humanity uh, of, of people that are in the Empire for one reason or another, whatever their ideological worldview, uh, supporting their, their interest in the Empire. And those kinds of lines in, in this movie actually remind me that the Empire is made up of human organisms. And I thought that was funny. And and in fact, makes it, it makes the battle between the rebels and the empire uh, all that more sort of resonant uh, when we get to see a different side of them, when they're aware that there's a new layer of, you know, th- that we can joke. And not only that, it allows for us to uh, uh, to see some uh, n- not so much like overt kind of dissension amongst the ranks in the uh, in the first order but you get a sense that these people are a military they're following orders whether they really agree or not and what I, I initially while I initially struggled with some of the comedy by the time we cut to the commander of the dreadnought I believe it was uh, uh, Kennedy um, and he's just and and he's just you can tell that he's just so 
um, his subtext of what he's saying. He's like, he's so furious with uh, with uh, General Hux's uh, reactions to uh, uh, to Poe. Um, and he's just like, yeah, we should have launched the 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 fighters, you know, five minutes ago. And he's just so you know furious because now he has to kind of play catch up and try to uh, try to fix this mess that Hux just made. I love those little bits where you're actually seeing some of this frustration between the various uh, parts of the of this big organization. I guess that makes sense for me. The subtle allusions to that sort of. Uh, that sort of, I guess, in-office dissension or in-military dissension that was in the first three movies was a lot more effective than this stuff, which really felt on the nose and almost like they were trying to really force it for me. Um, in terms of Poe, since we're talking about Poe and where he goes with things, how did you guys feel about Poe's presence here? Obviously, he still has that comedy, which is great. Um, where where else did he go for you in this movie? One of the things that I had difficulty with in watching this movie is it seems like everything he does is is pretty much a mess he pretty much fails everyone at every turn except for the first uh flight sequence where he goes around and shows how great of a pilot he is uh, every other idea he has is a really bad idea for the rebellion do you disagree no i mean he he makes some really bad choices but in context of him you know of, of uh, you know being this this cocky flyboy, i i think it makes sense but in in context of a story about failure i think and again being this big space opera i think that all of these situations work well with his character arc. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with Andy. To me, it it's really about his arc from you know soldier to leader. And and there's a I believe there's a quote in this movie, and we can get into spoilers and other characters, but about failure and learning from failure. And to me, that just was reflected there in Poe's arc of we see all these things going on, and he's starting to learn that he's got a have a different perspective on things. We finally see that realized at the end. So for me, there, there was a really nice build and resolution to his arc and to see him transform of the guy that wants to be in charge, but isn't really got the experience or isn't thinking appropriately like a leader to the guy that is now, you know, hold on, let's think about this. This is the best course of action to take. This is going to be the results that we need long-term. So for me, I was very much behind Poe's arc. I was too, I, absolutely. And and I feel like, I, I guess I disagree that everything was a failure because uh, part of the reason that he failed uh, is b- because of the... Um, you know, I, I, I don't know the perceived malintent of this of Laura Dern. Uh, that in in fact she had she had it more. She was she was not a great communicator, uh, and she was trying to make a point. Uh, it, <laughs> That's an understatement you know, for sure. Yeah, she she was trying to make a point. I think in her own way about leadership, and and that you know she and she didn't know Poe well enough. I, I I feel like that was that was communicated very clearly. That really uh, you know it would have been a better uh, uh, a, a better exchange to actually explain to him what she was planning and all of that would have been would have gone away but he was clearly out of line and she was trying to make a point that he needed to keep you know stay in his own lane and uh he he you know that as a result of them going to loggerheads his plan which otherwise was a good one uh failed like they and and I thought that was a very real and resonant exchange like it failed because they weren't communicating well to one another, and that's okay. 
Um, that's what needed to happen for the story. And I think that it absolutely set him up when communication was once again out in the open, when they were standing in the cave and when he said, follow me. And Leia said, what are you looking at me for? Follow him. Uh, that was the setup that we need to see him emerge as the leader in the next movie, which, which seems very clearly where they're going. What was great about Holdo, though, in that in that uh, in her decision to not tell Poe anything, which I, I agree with you, the first time I was like, Kai, why why isn't she just saying something so they know what's going on? But I was like, you know what? Hold on, they're they're being tracked through hyperspace, which everybody's like, how can they do that? You know, somehow they have you know found some way to do that, and it's like when you're a leader and you have not worked with these people before, I you know. We're not on Holdo's side. Normally, we're kind of in the loop on all of this sort of stuff. But what was interesting here is we weren't in Holdo's loop on anything. And she was probably like, we can't tell anybody anything because somebody is is leaking information to the First Order and and allowing them to track us. So we can't. Uh, just we can't just open the the floodgates and let all that information out. So in retrospect, I'm like, you know, it actually probably was smart for her not to say anything. And so it's just interesting being outside of that for the first time in a Star Wars story where we don't get that information. We're not privy to it. And Poe is as frustrated as we are. I, I think you're absolutely right, Andy. And I, I think that's uh, it, it makes it makes great sense from her perspective all she knows about Poe is that he's a troublemaker and he just got a bunch of people killed. Right. And I probably wouldn't want to tell him all that much either. That makes sense. So, but then if we go with that, then why does the his turn or his arc, why should we follow him ever? He actually at no point has made a choice which has actually saved lives in this film. No, but the resolution that comes on storming the battering ram where he, you know, basically they pull pull back and he's like, no, 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 this this is not working. We're going to lose too many people. We need to bail out on this. And Finn, Finn now sort of takes on that mantle of it's it's best to fight and sacrifice yourself where Poe is realizing we keep losing people. We keep doing things like this. There's not going to be anybody left to fight against the First Order. So for me... That was the turning point for him to, to be able to look, step back and say, okay, this isn't going to work for us. We need to regroup. And to me, that decision then was followed up with the, okay, follow me, because he's now, we've seen him make that turn to the leader that's not just about, we got to fight this battle in front of us, but we've got a larger, more long-term battle to that's fight. That's fair. I think for me, the, the difficulty with his character is that coming off of The Force Awakens, he was the new Han for me, right? And he was actually the person that I that I could like a whole lot going in. I never, it, the, the thing about Han Solo in the original three movies is that he wasn't, he never actually made an error that cost a bunch of people's lives. He was just, he was just always... Uh, in allegiance to money, right? And that was always his side. And then he always came through in the end. I never, I haven't got that with Poe. And actually, after the first movie, I really liked him. And now I don't so much. Now I question his ability as a character. And I don't really understand why the rebellion follows him anymore. I just think it was one of those uh, things. I mean, he... He proved himself a a great pilot in the first film. Um, he has his own comic book line. I know it's not necessarily uh, part of any of these stories, but in the comics, he is very much a a very key figure who is you know is a great pilot. He does all these great rescue missions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which is all in canon. But it's you don't necessarily need that for the two films. Just to know that this is a guy who's a great pilot, and yes, he's um, he's 
made some serious errors in this particular moment. But I think leading up to this point, he may not have. I mean, he's, you know, General Organa is like, you know, has him as her right hand man. And yes, all of a sudden now he's kind of making some serious uh, mistakes. But, you know, I think that at least we know, or at least we should know that his intentions are in the right place. And but again, it's just part of the the way that the story is constructed, where it's it's difficult that these things happen, but it's critical for his character's growth that we end up getting over the course of the story. Because as as Steve pointed out, you get that moment at the end where we do see that Poe has gone through this this character arc, and he's grown and he's changed, and and he has become the leader that that she needed him to be, that General Organa needed him to be. And we're going to see that, I guarantee, in the next film. Well, that's a good thing. And, and and honestly, it unlocks it a little bit for me if we talk about that we're actually just watching that that portion or that storyline in this movie from Poe's perspective. So that's why we don't get that information. It's not that Holdo is just, you know, stubborn. It's that actually that there's some protocol there. That unlocks it a little bit for me. But you bring up a good point. I really, after this movie, I'm really unsure of where it's going to go uh, in the next movie. And and talking to Pete today about it, Pete, you're saying that that's something that you're really excited about. The fact that you don't know where the story is going next. Is that still the case? Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a legitimate praise for this thing that they have shaken it up and and I think it's safe to say that I, I was reasonably unspoiled going into this movie and there were a lot of things in here that surprised me pleasantly like I didn't feel like I was reading ahead uh, on just about every sequence even the things that I found a, a little bit frustrating um I was I was surprised at almost every turn I was su- deeply surprised at Snoke uh, the the Snoke sequence I was deeply surprised at the change in dynamic between Ray and Kylo Ren I was deeply surprised uh, about two elements uh, related to Leia which we can talk about uh, that was enormously gratifying enormously gratifying because I felt like I was reading I had read the script for The Force Awakens as much as I enjoyed that movie um, and, and so uh, this one has set it up for what I think is legitimately the next generation of uh, of uh, you know Star Wars uh, movie. I it didn't feel like a reboot to me. Although, come on, there's always a cave, and in this case, we get two caves. So, uh, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> always a cave and always a trench run. Yeah, right, right. I loved it. I, I like that stuff. It was exhilarating. Gotcha. You talked a little bit about uh, Kylo Ren's turn. Um, what did you guys think about the the story or illuminating the story that Luke uh, was potentially considering murder at some point? Was that mind-blowing to anyone uh, here on the call? What was so great about that is the way that it it came through three times, and it was very much like a Rashomon type of telling of that moment. Um, I was thrilled that they chose to do it that way, where we first get this kind of cursory way that Luke kind of just tells it to get past it. And then you get the the version that Kylo Ren saw. And then you get you know Luke finally saying, OK, this is really the version that I saw. Um, I thought that was fantastic. What a great way to weave that into the story. I, I, it was, it was, for me, I thought it was just brilliant. Yeah, for me, for me, the, I mean, as Pete said, this this. This isn't our Star Wars. This is the Star Wars for a new generation. And, you know, even at the, you know, with, with Luke, it's, you know, him still realizing, you know, he, his realization that he's thinking he's this great 
hero and, you know, his ego getting in the way. And even then there, you know, at the end with the, you know, attempt to burn the library and that whole conversation he has there with, with Yoda of like, dude, you're still learning. There's, you still don't know everything and you think you do, but you don't. And you realize, you know, Luke, you know, going back to the original trilogy, he, he shortchanged his training with Yoda. You know, he's been off on his own. He hasn't had that whole, you know, sort of in- infrastructure of the, the Jedi's at their peak. He's figuring this stuff out as he goes along and he thinks he knows it. And Yoda's like, yeah, those books, yeah, that's not, that's not it. And, and this girl, she's got more than what those books had. Uh, you know, for me, it was so much about the, the ge- these, this generation that thought they knew what they were doing and realizing, no, they barely know anything. And these young kids coming up that are going to blow them out of the water. It was this huge transformation. And for, for Luke, yeah, he's still a flawed guy. He's never been a pure, perfect Jedi. He's still figuring this stuff out. So I loved his his arc as well of to see that, yeah, he's he's realized he's made a mistake. He knows what, you know, when training goes bad, it can go really wrong and trying to stop another Vader happening, but sort of in that process setting, you know, Ren on that path. Uh, no, it, it, to me, everything just worked so well to reflect back on the original trilogy and then to completely subvert it. I mean, this to me is, as Pete said, this wasn't like another reboot. This was, we're taking everything, we're turning it on its head upside down and we're, we're forging something new by burning these bridges. We're, we're cutting these ties to the original trilogy and we're doing something completely new. With well, that's, it. and I guess that's why I make the, the comparison to Phantom Menace is because I think that's what Phantom Menace tried to set up for the first three. And I think people just didn't like it that much where they look at these, they look at Force Awakens and they look at this movie as potentially a better interpretation, a better way to cut ties with those original three movies that were so legendary and put something new out there. I think it's interesting that we talk about Ray and Luke on the island. I think I came in expecting it to be a lot like Dagobah. Uh, Luke and and Yoda and Dagobah, but I I agree with you in that I like that the dynamic between Rey and Luke is is similar but very different in talking about the ways of the Force because you talk about the similarities, right? Luke is sort of this bumbling guy uh, on this island who's who's shut himself off to the Force and now is uh, it, milking some crazy looking aliens. <laughs> And trying to share it in the way that we think about when Luke first encountered Yoda, thinking that Yoda was this bumbling guy. But really, it's a total different dynamic when Ray is actually trying to stimulate, force Luke to come back and help. And he's just refusing to. It's a different bumbling dynamic, but it's equal and kind of better in this case, I think, than in Empire. The interesting thing about Luke, you know, JJ, you talked about him shutting himself off because we we don't get that reveal right away. It's just sort of Luke acting quirky. And for me, I took that as the, okay, he's the Jedi master sort of pulling the Yoda. I'm going to have you do weird things. You know, I'm going to be Mr. Miyagi and you're going to do stuff that you don't understand, but it's going to be part of your training. But then we get to that point where she, you know, she's reaching out and he's walking her through that. And she's got this pull to the dark side of it. And she's like, but I didn't get anything from you. You've shut yourself off from the force, which was like completely caught me off guard because it's, you know, the quirky training sequence. And that's what I'm expecting. But when she has this realization, I thought, oh, we're in a different place here. This is not the typical Jedi training going on. This is him sort of just going through the motions. And there were so many things that I thought we're going to get again, these Empire Strikes Back parallels, like she sees the X-Wing, you know, 
down in the water. And I'm like, oh, she's going to have to like, you know, raise it out of the water. Are we going to do that? Oh, no. It's just he flew it there and sunk it and he's not turning back at all. And for me, that was such a rewarding twist on my expectations of what was going to happen on the island between the two of them and to completely completely subverting that and the the actual connection that she has, the training that she gets is this really bizarre force connection thing she has with Kylo Ren where they can sort of see and hear each other, uh, you know, is a, a whole different aspect of the force that we haven't really seen. And it sets them up as this new generation of this like raw access to the force that Luke doesn't understand is really frightened by. And for me, that was just like so refreshing to take our expectations and again, subvert them and give us something. Totally different. agree. Yeah, and I think that was great. I mean, honestly, Luke was more trying to talk her out of it in the in the weird things that he was doing with her than Yoda yeah. ever did for him. And the Yoda was a puppet. Yeah, that Back was to the that old was school. Probably the most yes. satisfying thing for me. Oh, it was great. It, not only was he a puppet, but it was totally that Empire Strikes Back uh, type of Yoda, where it's, yes. it's you know it, he's his just a feisty little guy and he's the way that he's talking the way that his lips move and everything it was so exciting to see that return of yoda it was uh, invigorating page you know, honestly, turner they are not yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of helping me maybe format my thought about this whole film i guess group and that maybe i should stop thinking of it as you know nine films what we have now and maybe i should start thinking of it as you know, three separate trilogies or, or something different to that point. Because I, I mean, some of the stuff that I really loved about Rogue One was the connecting tissue. But I think that if, that what I should really kind of try to embrace as I look at this movie is not search for that connecting tissue and instead try to really embrace what they're trying to do in a new way. Yeah. I think that's probably yeah. safe. Oh yeah. I, th- I think the, the really interesting aspect of this is the pivot point is what goes on with Kylo Ren. Uh, we see him there with Snoke, and Snoke's just like, yeah, I thought you were going to be the next Vader, but you're just this kid. And the path that, that sets him on where he's just like, you know what? Forget all this. Burn the past, and let's forge a new future. And so he is just hell-bent on forget, you know, it's all about him and what he can do and damn everything else. And to me, that was interesting. It wasn't, oh, the new rise of the of, of the Empire, because... He's in it for himself, which is maybe a more pure embodiment of the dark side. I don't know. But for me, that was the trajectory because I didn't know which side he was on, what he was going for. He's a lot more chaotic, which to me is really appealing because it's it. I have no idea what the next film is going to be, where that story is going to go. And I'm very excited about that. I know it's setting up for a battle, but to me, it's not as clear cut as empire versus you know rebellion or first order versus resistance because we've got this outside aspect now that is unpredictable that i think is very interesting and what's great about that chaotic side of kylo ren is here you have this character who you know i mean he is set off by things at such a, a, a moment's notice you know he is such an emotional character responding uh, so quickly to things when he sees luke walk out of that uh, door and he's just like point everything at it and fire everything you have. And he's just like screaming his orders and he's flicking hucks around. I mean, it's just like, it's so great uh, to have this like, 
you know, raw and frightening emotional evil kind of running things now. And I'm really, like you said, I'm really excited to see where it's going to go into the next one. Well, and I think for me, Kylo Ren is kind of the most satisfying part of the story because that gets into the sort of macro story that we're talking about, about burning down the religious orders of the Jedi and the Sith in that the force is an existence of itself. It knows no religion. There is no specific light side and dark side. It's this thing that exists. And what Kylo tries to do is he's not the next Vader. He's the next new God in his own mind. Right. And he's going to take care of everyone. And he invites Ray to that party because she is the other piece of that puzzle. And, you know, the whole yin yang view of everything that shows up in this movie in imagery is saying, you know, we are going to burn down all the, the sort of symbolism that we had in the earlier stuff, because these people are powerful enough to take us to a new, a new trilogy or a new storyline. And I think that the whole Ren and Ray, everything that happened with Ren and Ray, I loved in this movie. And I just wish I could have focused on that. Totally, totally agree. Yeah. It was a brilliant development uh, as the way that they continued that relationship. It really just was, uh, I think, one of the strongest parts of this uh, of this film. And, and boldest choices. I mean, it would have been so easy to, you know, take the old, you know, um, Empire route and and do exactly what they did with the last uh, or with the, the last film. And, and I just think it was a bold choice to give us something new. It was very new. And we talked about Poe's uh, Poe's storyline. We talked about, now it seems like we talked about everyone that's kind of a lead in this movie. What about Finn? How did you guys feel about Finn in this one? I think Finn is a really fun character. I enjoy uh, what he brings to the table um, in general. Um, But I do feel like some of the comedy with Finn uh, was kind of wearing thin a little bit in this one. And I think some of that was because he ended up in in the the sequence that I struggled with the most. I, I, he met Rose, and I really loved Rose as a character. I thought she was a, a great new addition to this franchise. I was just thrilled to kind of have her um, along for the ride. Unfortunately, the two of them go on this this secret mission to this planet with this you know giant casino to find this code breaker. and um, th- that whole sequence just was was just the 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 worst sequence in the entire film. It was just such a frustrating sequence um, because it really goes nowhere. And yes, they kind of bring this code breaker out. But I felt like this was a sequence where it really all of a sudden was like, let's talk about, um, you know, you know, the realities of war. And and it's just like, as far as like, you know, war is, you know, you have all this, this military industrial complex, all these people making money off of the war. And I just felt like, it was really just kind of overly, um, uh, you know, uh, just on the nose as far as what they were doing here. And then they kind of leave, uh, you know, they they get arrested. And so then they break out with these animals and they free the animals and it's all great. Um, and but then they leave and it's just like, well, they're not even leaving with the code breaker. And it's only sheer luck that BB-8, uh, you know, ended up with this other code breaker and they ended up succeeding in their mission. But otherwise, it's like it was a complete failure of a mission. And it would just, it was going nowhere. It was a very frustrating sequence. And so for me, um, that was the part of, that Finn ended up getting uh, 
mired down with that was frustrating. I did like seeing the resolution between him and uh, I'm blanking on her name or the the name, but uh, Gwendolyn Christie's character Phasma. Um, I, I I liked seeing some resolution there, but otherwise I was I was rather frustrated with that element of Finn's character. Well, and I kind of felt that way about that entire storyline that it felt like it wasn't there for a reason. It was the whole thing was again that goes back to my initial comments about things pins being set up to knock down. If we just talk about the code breaker, for example, I feel like in the first trilogy we would have found out that the DJ character, the Benicio del Toro character, was actually the codebreaker they were looking for the whole time. I was waiting for that explanation, for that to be the clever piece that like he actually lost all his money at the tables or whatnot and was in jail. And that's why we ended up with him. But instead, it just feels like an, uh, we fail to find the codebreaker. We fail to actually do what we're doing. We fail our way off the planet. We fail our way into getting caught. We then, you know, it, it, again, it's all about these failures. And then the codebreaker actually cuts a deal. And then even into the Phasma piece, it just doesn't seem like anyone actually ever achieves anything in that story. It's just there to basically further this storyline of failure. And that was really, really difficult for me to accept. I would have liked a lot more of Phasma. I, I, I want, I don't understand how Gwendolyn Christie, if hopefully she's not dead. I mean, honestly, in the first movie, she got maybe two minutes in this movie. She got maybe six. I, I feel like she should have so much more. I feel like the Phasma character should be so much more. Maybe she's in the comic books too. Yeah, I, I hope I hope the same for Gwendolyn Christie in particular. But I definitely don't agree with you guys on the the uh, the gambling planet. I thought it was uh, fun. I am disappointed that they didn't come back around to the flower like you, JJ. I think that was a that was a frustrating little twist. But I really enjoyed the visuals of that planet, and uh, I enjoyed the fact that they went on a mission and they came back successful. It might not have been according to the story. It seems like an easy fix, but according to the story they gave us, it was uh, you know it was something that they came back with a with a code breaker that was you know it, it was an interesting uh, addition to the story i liked uh, how he portrayed the character uh, too so um i i did not find myself disappointed and i also like the fathiers i thought they were cool little racing animals okay so so jj so let's look at finn and where he is at the beginning when he first meets rose and his his last sort of bit with rose during the assault we've got Finn, who basically is trying to get out of there. He wants to run away. He's worried about Ray, but basically that's it. Self-interest and this person he's bonded with, you know, his whole story started with, I got to get out of the first order. This is not what I want to be doing. He's still in that place at the beginning of this. Like, I don't want to be involved in all this. I'm out of here to the point where he's now at the end of the film, willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good. A guy that was ready to just bail out and abandon everybody is now willing to save everyone by by sacrificing himself. To me, that's a tremendous shift for a character. And I think part of that happens at the casino planet of, look, this just isn't about us and this small thing. There's all these other things going on and the kids and the abuse. And yes, there's some of that's a little on the nose, but I think to me, it's important for him to have a sense of his value and what he can bring to this conflict going on. And so for me, there, there were pieces in, in there. It may have been able to be better executed, but for me, I can track his character arc 
through this to see how it goes from self-interest to self-sacrifice. That, that's really good insight. And I, I mean, I didn't, I'm glad that you caught that because I didn't, I, I really felt that that was just sort of an aside and done and done weekly. But I, I, I like that insight. I, it, jumping ahead uh, about the slave kids that are tending the animals. What's the story? What, you know, we're, we, we say we don't know where it's going. We see this slave kid has, has some force in him. How did you guys feel about that at the end? I thought it was a great touch. I mean, we, we get this, this story, I mean, it's it's always been kind of this Skywalker story that we have, but now we have Ray, and I know there was a lot of talk about it, oh, Ray might be a you know a lost a secret child of of one of our principal characters or something. And in the, this film, we find out, oh no, she just had these loser parents who who uh, were nobodies who basically sold her to get money uh, to uh, to buy more alcohol or oh, whatever. Oh, you believe it was. that? I can't. Remember. I don't believe it. Yeah, I, I think I, he's lying to well, her. Well, who knows? I think he's he lying to her because he thought he could convert her more by saying that. Because that's when he's trying to win her over. But even if he is lying to her, I, it doesn't make sense anymore for her parents to be somebody's. I think it makes more sense now in the context of what they're doing here to say, no, no, the force isn't just about these people. It's about everybody. And here it can come from this girl who's a nobody on Jakku. Here it can come in this little boy on this you know casino planet who's who's this slave child taking care of these horses. I, I, that's kind of what I thought they were going for. And I, I like that if it does end up being where he was lying and her parents are like their siblings or who knows what it could be. I feel like I'd almost be more disappointed. Totally in agree. Totally agree. This opens up the entire universe. In fact, that is the central key to keeping this going as a franchise that is believable and not just about a single family dynasty. And I loved it. That's pretty cool. And I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, to be fair, there were a lot of Jedis and they weren't all Skywalkers. <laughs> yeah, I, that's totally true. But the f- fact is, the story has always been Skywalkers, one way or another, Skywalkers yeah, and right. Solos. And now it's now we get to open it up. This is the next generation of Jedi. This is this answers the question, you know, and, and cements Luke's last statement, I will not be the last Jedi. And that was fantastic. Oh, that was It was good. so good. I think that is really great. And I hadn't thought of it that way that if, because honestly, I, as soon as I, I assumed he was lying to her, I just assumed that, that, of course, they can't be nobodies. They have to be someone special. And I still, I think my theory still holds that they could be siblings also because, uh, and, and this is not, this is not a, a truly logical argument, but I feel like in that position and maybe they're pulling the whole uh natalie portman and um and hayden christensen thing about how they actually have no chemistry but if they were these two powerful people wouldn't they have some sort of chemistry in the situation they have i feel like they're siblings i feel like the reason why he hasn't killed her and why he couldn't kill uh leia is because he doesn't want to he does he thinks the only path to power is through the masculine in his family but i i love what you guys are doing with this idea of uh, the force applies to everyone. I think that's great. And if they're going that direction, I agree with you. I think I'm going to be more satisfied if the the whole series goes that direction. Well gotcha. said. So let's talk about the final battle or once we get to the big red planet, which honestly I think was some of the most beautiful stuff in the film. I think before before we get to the big red planet – I have to we have to get to what gets us there which is what I think is for me has become one of my probably all-time favorite moments in a Star Wars film um top-notch storytelling the device the way they did it everything was so brilliant I'm talking about the moment when Laura Dern's character uh the Holdo points her ship at the enemy's ship and hits warp speed, ripping everything in half, 
That, to me, was something I had never seen before in any of these films. It was one of the most exhilarating moments in in just in the franchise the the gasp in the audience when that happened it just like i mean it shuddered me and i, I just I, it was such an incredible moment um that to me is like there are problems with this film but moments like that that stand so high make this in my mind just an incredible um example of what this franchise can do it was visually and uh, the the audio they drop all the audio out and that made it uh, it, it was a vacuum. It was just a vacuum in our theater, too. And I, I really felt I had to like reach out. My son was sitting there, so I had to reach out and grab him and squeeze something because uh, it was it, it was that sort of an emotional moment. I totally agree, Andy. It, was, it, it represents the pinnacle, the high point of the production of the film, not just the story. Absolutely. No, it's the to me, it's it was powerful because it was also mirrored by the breaking of Luke's lightsaber. The battle of those two and that saber being, you know, torn in half and then her ripping, you know, the fleet in half of just breaking that apart was just, you know, sort of the visual parallel in that image. And then just, yeah, it's completely unexpected because I thought, oh, she's going to do something. She's going to go into hyperspace and then she's going to like come out of hyperspace in the middle of the ship or something like that. Just like, you know, and it's going to explode. But, oh, my gosh, to just see the that effect. Of, of the sort of rip, yes. Can't, I can't wait to go back just to see that moment. That might again. be the best single moment in the film. Oh, easily. I, I, I don't know. I mean, we could have debates about it, but I think that moment, it was so powerful and so well executed. I think that that, you know, if Laura Dern, this is her only film, I think she did, uh, that her role in that <laughs> is pretty special. She gets the, she gets totally. along with the long list of actors and characters that get their one shining moment, right? You know, you've got your Liam Neesons and you've got, you know, uh, it's it's pretty neat to have her do that. Even even though, I mean, it, Pete, you were saying that some some people are, are really kind of ragging on her and what she did. Other than the fact that every time she spoke, it looked like she was in ADR. I thought uh, everything she delivered was pretty nice. I did too. I I don't know why she was getting uh, she's she's getting some strife on uh, on you know the internet uh, the the hate Twitter. Uh, but I actually found her uh, quite good and quite a, an interesting alternative, uh, particularly when you see power change hand uh, change hands in between these two characters who are you know elegant right? Elegant power. What we have in Princess Leia, we've always thought of, I think, as uh, something in isolation, right? Like this is, you know, we we have these sort of ancillary women characters on on deck, but somebody who is the leader, you you always imagine that she, Leia was royalty. Like, of course she's going to be the leader. But here we have this woman who's now a, who's a general and she shows up wearing this gown and- Vice Admiral. Vice Admiral, right? She shows up wearing this gown that is kind of broken off the shoulders. It's elegant and beautiful and yet she dominates, uh, and, and I think she actually did it uh, very, very well. I thought she, I, I really enjoyed her. I didn't see her as as a detractor at all. And again, we've already talked about her relationship with Poe. I think it was strong. So the the one thing, and it's because I'm not up to date on all my Star Wars lore and all the other materials and everything, and so I don't know if this information is out there or not, but when she sort of assumes command and Poe is like, oh, that's Vice Admiral Haldo, you know, and he references some battle or some event. I is like, oh, that was that was her. He's like, oh, she's not what I expected. And I don't have the context of that to know what 
he's speaking about like what decisions, what went down at that battle. Was it an impressive thing? Was it, you know, the stunning victory? Was it a, a debacle? You know, what that's what I, to me, I think it's that vacuum of what is Poe's sort of background knowledge on her that's leading to his assumptions about her that I don't have. And I think it's operating in that void and vacuum that may make the issue with her character troubling to so many people to wonder, does she really, is she really qualified? Does she really know she's being a strong leader? That's going to just give commands and say, Hey, trust me, we don't have enough information to know whether or not to trust the decisions. And that gets back to, to Poe. And I think, that's the one issue with the writing I have is you reference something. In some cases, it's easy. It's like, oh, the ship that made the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. I don't know what the Kessel Run is. I don't care, you know, whatever. But this seemed crucial information for Poe, and we don't have it, and we don't have a scene where he discusses it, explains it, or any other characters do. This is interesting, Steve. Is this a writing problem or a performance problem? Because for me, uh, I actually bought it, but I feel like it was on the shoulders of the illusion that Poe makes to her reputation, that her reputation precedes her because he says it to the alien that he acts impressed. Did he not act impressed enough to set her up to, to bring that power to the bridge? Right. Yes. I'd say that maybe. Well, we got that locked. (laughs) Can we, can we talk about Leia real quick? Cause Leia, I had, this is where I had a central problem. I did not like Leia. They kill Leia blowing her out into space and then she force floats back into the airlock. I hated that. I hated it so much. Yeah, me too. So, so very much. It made me crazy. And then they didn't kill Leia at the end of the movie. I didn't hate that, but I was really surprised. I so I carry so I just watched Force Awakens last night before I went and saw this before we went and saw this this morning and I watched all the uh, the extras the bonus uh, stuff that they have there and Carrie Fisher says in one of the initial ones she was like you know I didn't think we were gonna do this and if we were gonna do this couldn't we have done this ten years ago when I looked a lot better that's what she says <laughs> right and you know honestly I really really yes. like Carrie Fisher I mean yeah. there actually was a tribute uh, sort of viral video that I recently put posted on Facebook that we should actually probably put in our show notes too she's fantastic and such a great character but she unfortunately here there just wasn't much there and that thing that you're talking about pete was just generally ridiculous i love the fact that all of a sudden we finally get to see that leia does have the force but what a terrible way to do it and what a what a cheap way to put it in there and why didn't she die can anyone i mean i guess what are they what are they going to do but but here's the thing like first of all you know notwithstanding the fact that as soon as she her eyes kind of open and she starts floating all i can hear is bum 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 come on (laughs) uh it made me crazy uh but the 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 char- there's a character issue here too, right? Leia's strength, even though we always knew that she had some part of the force in her, but Leia's strength as a character was her policy, strategy, military, not the force. Luke had the force. He was the emotional side of the family. He was the guy who was at one with the with the force. She was always the one who could see the pieces on the board. We didn't need her to have the mystical power of the force uh, because in the yin and yang that is Luke and Leia, he already had that covered. That she now has the force, it was baffling to me that we needed that. We did not need to, if we're not going to kill her in the movie, why did that happen? She could have just been hit unconscious. She could I mean, we had this spectacle moment of her in space that that it just really rubbed me the wrong way. I don't hate it. Um, uh, the second time around, I had less problems with it. It bothered me for the the, uh, the first time 
around. I was like, ah, you know, I it was an emotional moment for me seeing her, uh, you know, get sucked out into space, and then uh, and then she kind of uh, flies herself back in. I was like, oh, that's kind of strange. Um, I, I, it wasn't as much a problem for me the second go around, and I think it was because. You know, she is a powerful being and she's always had the force in her. She just may not have trained as much as Luke. But for me, I was just like, you know, she's not done yet. And I, I ended up thinking it was actually a pretty interesting decision that they made. I didn't have issues with it. Um, and and likewise, I didn't have issues that they didn't kill her later. I mean, they said, you know, just, you know, they, they kept everything just as it was um, before her tragic death. Um, a year ago, uh, and so I think that in in context of that, I, I think that they you know did a, a solid job of keeping Leia the way that uh, that she was meant to be for this film. So it was a bold choice, bold choice. The, it was a bold. The, honestly, choice. Andy, the thing that that I feel like is is the most risky uh, in this whole thing is that it opens us up to now more CGI Leia, and this time CGI old Leia. And that's they actually said they will not do uh, have Leia in the next film. They're not going to do any CG of her or anything. So that's the other yeah. risk, which is now we have a well, where's Leia? <laughs> Look, oh, well, she's she's farming. Well, she's a moisture farmer. Well, no, now. They'll, they'll probably write it into the script where she ended up dying in a battle or something. But, you know, I, I, I don't have an issue with that. I mean, they've had to do that in stories before. I know, but it's Leia. Yeah, they'll, they'll, it'll be in the opening crawl. It'll be in the opening crawl of, you know, to give us how many years later and what's happened and the, you know, the the resistance, the new rebellion, you know, having to rally around a new leader. They'll, they'll, they'll work that in. I mean, to me, it was the, the, the floating, flying, whatever you're going to call it was sort of at that point in the story was, yeah, it, it, it catches you off guard because it's not anything we've seen really done before by her we've seen you know leaps and acrobatics but we haven't really seen like i'm flying and floating through the air really so it's yeah it's it's a little unsettling and it catches you off guard but there are so many other new things going on i'm willing to just let it go and say okay this works you know there's always the challenge of how do you incapacitate a character that you know you're going to want around later on but you need them out of commission for a good chunk of the story so you need them unconscious somehow. So how do you do that? And there's never any easy and tactful way to do it that that's going to work. You know, it's, you know, they got bonked on the head. They did this. That it's, it's something and it's clear. Yeah, we need them for later. So they're unconscious for the next, you know, hour and 20 minutes. I, I think there I and that's where I think we disagree. I, I think there are all kinds of ways to uh, separate her, to incapacitate her in the middle of a space battle where physics is of questionable pedigree. Like, it is very easy for us to do this without introducing that. And, I, and to my mind, damaging uh, what I loved so much about her character. And so, you know, uh, it is what it is. Well, and we talk about the fact that she's going to be gone, right? And I think that one of the sweet moments for me was when Luke and Leia had their last moment together, whether it was real or virtual. I thought that was kind of special. It had me thinking about Carrie Fisher um, as they were setting us up for the the sort of big battle at the end. What did you guys think about how they related? And the fact that now Luke is, I guess he's gone. I mean, I guess technically he's now died, right? Well, and who knows? Are we going to continue to see him uh, as the uh, as a vision like we see Yoda? And 
I think I think yeah. I mean, he he gave himself to the Force like like the some of the the um, Jedi before him, and so I do think that we will see him as a Force ghost now. And I loved the moment between him and Leia at the end. What was so great about that is that it's like she is the only one that he actually physically comes in contact with through that whole end. And you get that look from her, like, I mean, you think it's because he's giving her the dice of from the Millennium Falcon from Han, kind of that connection. But really, it's like she's realizing, oh, he's not even here, um, which is so great because then, because uh, otherwise you kind of have a sense like, don't go out by yourself. Yeah, You feel like she would say something to him. But the fact that she doesn't, you know, and he goes out and for this final confrontation, which he has all by himself um, as a force ghost or not even force ghost. I'm not even sure what you'd call that. It's a force projection. It's a force projection. Force projection. I thought that was just a fantastic way to to do all of that. I, I really loved everything they were doing. Uh, you know, he had seen what Ray and and uh, and Kylo Ren were doing, and here he goes and does it to kind of have for the, uh, that final confrontation. Yeah, it's pretty. I thought that was pretty special. I think it's interesting too, Andy. What, did, on the second viewing, did you see was her look more knowing to you than it was? I mean, I thought he was really there. I, they, they totally surprised me about that until until they were having the final battle. Oh, it was the second viewing that I realized that she knew that he wasn't there. Like the first viewing, I didn't even catch that um, until after he, until, I, I mean, I totally missed the fact that his facial hair is all the different color. Like I didn't catch any of that. Ah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's two big clues. And, and one is, yeah, the hair is different. So it looks like he's, at first I thought, oh, he just cleaned himself up. He's trimmed his beard, but there's there's no gray in it. And the other part is they make a, a big point of calling attention to as people walk across the salt flats, we've got guys climbing out of the trenches, the red footprints, and then there's Kylo sort of positioning himself, and we see his feet, and we see the red, and then I see Luke, and he makes a similar move, but the ground, there's no red revealed. And I, if my first response, my first response was, "Oh, he's like a ninja, very light step. He's he's you know very he's much more agile, while Ren is just like more physical brute force." Luke is going to be this agile, you know, light stepping ninja, but no, it's because he's not. Well, there. and then they did introduce some really cool force moves in Luke, not even not only on crate, but, but, you know, as he, as, as Ray knocks him down and he force catches himself an inch below him before hitting the rocks and, and, and that cool twisty thing that they had him, that he had, he did on crate was, was very cool. Like I, I was, I, I was impressed. And, and the dice disappearing was interesting. Did you guys get the dice? I don't. I don't. I didn't know anything about the dice. The dice were new to me too. I had to research the dice. I, I saw it in because I just watched Force Awakens last night. And when Han goes into the Millennium Falcon, he like hangs up the dice. Or is it Luke that's hanging up the? I, now I'm now I'm <laughs> doubting myself. There's somebody that hangs up the dice in there, and I want to say it was Han. In Force Awakens, when he comes back on the Millennium Falcon, I, I think you're right, and and that actually it makes sense. So it, it turns out that the dice were actually a Lucas thing. He put that he hung the dice. They were just gold regular dice, right? They just had the pips on them, uh, hung together by a chain, and they were hanging uh, up above the cockpit cockpit in the Millennium Falcon. But it, we never got an angle in Episode Four uh, that actually showed the dice. So the dice were never on screen in Episode Four, but they were there. And that's important because when they went back, when J.J. Abrams went back to uh, rebuild the Millennium Falcon uh, for uh, the last film, 
he wanted it to be authentic. And what he found was the cover photo from the original Vanity Fair shot, uh, a shoot from episode four, actually had the dice. And he went back and said, where are these dice? Well, it turns out the dice were a real thing. The, according to the story, uh, uh, Solo and um, uh, Lando Calrissian were in this game uh, called um, Carillion Spike. And they they were uh, they were gambling and they ran out of money. And so Han wagered these dice, which are apparently made out of something quite valuable. And Lando wagered the Falcon and he lost. And so Han kept the dice as a good luck charm. And they've been hanging, apparently, in the Millennium Falcon ever since all through the first or the original three movie trilogy. We just never saw them. I didn't know any of this. This is total news to me. And here the dice become a central premise uh, in the emotional relationship that these characters have with one another. I thought that was really interesting. And I, my my hunch is it's setting us up for the solo story, uh, which is to come next. This is the this is you know what probably Marvel would have put as a, an, a post credit sequence <laughs> about yeah. the dice. Well, uh, thank you, JJ Abrams, because I, I think that's smart. I mean, mining the old films for new central pieces of upcoming films, I think, is brilliant. I thought it was cool. Going back to uh, to Luke, I, I will also say how um, touching it was to kind of come full circle with him as a character and see when he kind of comes to after his, his force projection that he was doing. And he looks up and he sees the binary sunset um, on this planet that he's on. And... Um, and that's when he dies. It's like he, you know, he started this whole story with that binary sunset, and here he sees it, and he kind of gives himself to the force. I thought that was just a really powerful way to kind of close. His I thought story. that was a great shot. I think it, it, one of one of the one of the many shots in the film that you would want to like pull off as a still and hold on to. So this was shot by uh, Steve Yedlin, and I just thought it was really sweet. On Twitter, um, Yedlin posted that uh, he he said, you know, I've been I've been shooting movies for my friend Ryan Johnson. Uh, since we were like 18 and I am so proud to have been able to work on, on this picture. It was just a really touching um, sort of tribute having done what I have to say is just exceptional visual work in this movie. I mean, the, they were the, the setups, the shots, the, the movement of the camera, it was just gorgeous. Yeah, definitely. I think, and, and everything was, it looked like it had care for the way that things looked. I agree with that a hundred percent. I have no complaints about the way this movie looked. You know that Ryan Johnson is a Denver guy, right? No, I didn't know that actually. I didn't either. He grew up in Denver and then moved to Southern California. So he was, he, he started out in Colorado and then went to Southern California and he went to USC, went to the the film school at USC. So kind of cool that he comes back from Colorado. Huh? Nice. nice. What'd you guys think about the length it's a super long movie. I had no problem with the length. It didn't bother me. It was it didn't long. Bother me it didn't bother me. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess that it's probably a better question for Andy now seeing it twice. Did it feel longer the second time? No, it actually felt shorter the second time. Uh, weirdly, I think it was just because I knew where everything was, uh, where we were going with the story. And I was able to kind of pay attention to everything more and just kind of just get into all of the, the beats. Um, I had no issue with the length either time, though. I know some people are kind of frustrated with the length of the film, but... I don't know. Uh, for me, I, I really didn't have any issues with I it. I think it was tough for my six and eight-year-old. You weren't even sitting next to your six or eight-year-old. I, I know. My daughter had the problem with your kids. They were standing on the chairs, <laughs> and I was resisting the urge to go back and be like, no, 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 sit down. You have to watch this movie. I know we're two and a half in, but you have to sit down. 
the report from my daughter was, well, I said things like this. Look, you can't do somersaults in the movie. Look, you can't. No, you can't lie down on the floor in the movie. No, you can't. It was a riot. It was a riot. I, I definitely am going to take her again. Yeah, please apologize to her. <laughs> it was a treat. Okay, well, we've talked a lot about the different people in the movie. I think we've covered almost everyone. Are there other people that we should talk about that were in the movie that we didn't have a chance to talk about as of yet? I, I just have to relay this story that I read about uh, Kelly Marie Tran, who plays Rose. Um, I'm assuming that it's true, but you never know with uh, the IMDb trivia page. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I question it. But it, apparently she didn't tell anyone that she was actually working on this movie. She said she was making an indie film up in Canada. And apparently just to fool her parents, she even brought home some maple syrup for them, which I think is really funny that uh, she went to such lengths to to keep it uh, under wraps that she was actually a part of this. Did movie. you see her at the premiere? She was bawling. Like so overwhelmed about the fact that she was a part of this thing and being comforted by Daisy Ridley and whatnot. Aww. I I will say I wasn't super happy with her performance. I I didn't love her as much as you did, but um I think it's because my stand I was super excited to see her because of how much emotional investment she had in it. One of the problems I have with when they do casting in this film is I want people to be very um athletic and forward and stuff like that. And I didn't catch that from her when she was running and stuff. I was I was critical and I shouldn't be critical of her for that stuff. I was happy that she so invested in this film i'm really interested interested to see what they do with her character going forward because again as we talked about before the whole finn and rose storyline i felt was just generally lacking so i'm i'm excited to see more from her but i just uh, that that story that you tell is fantastic and also if you do catch any of the like imdb um snippets from the premiere you can see how much she cares about being a part of this franchise and i think that's really special i thought it was really cool that she that she lived like i i sort of thought that she was dying uh when she said that last she gave him a kiss and said that last line and uh you know given the people that they did kill in this movie i was really surprised that they let her live and uh, a la finn in the last movie and and kind of you know move on through the next uh, chapter. I'm really excited about it. I I actually really uh, liked her. I liked the awkwardness and and the fact that she was different and that we have a whole storyline that is with a, a, a you know, we've got a, a black character and an Asian woman uh, that are absolutely central to the rescue storyline. And uh, it, it, I thought it was really strong. I, I really enjoyed it. I, it felt nothing felt you know, sort of uh, like any sort of forced diversity. These were just great characters. And so I, I really enjoyed it. I, I want to say uh, that I, I don't feel like we talked about the death of Snoke. Did that surprise anybody? It felt like the death of Darth Sidious to me. Not Darth Sidious, uh, Darth Maul. In that he was going to be this big character and then all of a sudden he's just gone. I, I felt like there was more power to it than that. Uh, I, I, and maybe it's just because uh, I think Snoke is um, was such a like a uh, an interesting bad guy. I mean, he was so powerful, too. I mean, he was the one who was force connecting uh, Kylo Ren and Rey. And I, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, he's incredibly powerful. Um, but uh, but what I loved about what happened here is that it just went to show me really kind of some of the dark power that that Kylo Ren has in him. So I I ended up liking that quite a bit. And I was so much happier with how he looked here. I mean, I, I know we only ever saw him as kind of the 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 message version of a person, kind of that that CG projection um, and so, it, but it, he still looked a little rough here. I thought they did a great job with his CG. I thought he looked good too. It's and the whole, the whole, the whole sequence there 
that set the the you know the red background those guards everything there to me was just such a a, a powerful set piece so i audibly cheered out yes when the you know the lightsaber gets activated because it you know to me again it's just we're we're turning everything on its head you know cuz you can see the parallel with okay yeah when vader turns on the emperor and and chooses to destroy him that it's sort of his attempt to to redeem himself here it's like the exact opposite. It's like, I'm not letting you hold me back. I've got a new plan that has nothing to do with you, and I'm in charge of, of really subverting that power structure. And I was thrilled to see that change in the story of it's, this isn't going to just be, again, the rebels fighting against Snoke, you know, in the third movie. It's all bets are off. We're going someplace different with this. So it, it, that, the guards, that whole fight scene, you know that there was there was a, there was a nice sort of chuckle and laugh when when Ray sort of you know tosses the saber to him. He grabs it in his hand, just sort of powers it on for like just a split second, just enough to blast a hole through through the guy's head. You know, just so many innovative things that were going on in that. The sequence. fight was great. Although I was uh, two points. First, I love the way both Snoke and uh, Kylo Ren uh, both do these wonderful things around uh, dragging people around, like force dragging them around while standing up, or like in the beginning, you know, when the force pro- or the the message projection of Snoke appears on the bridge of the Star Destroyer, and and he drags Hux uh, 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 around. I thought that was very cool, uh, but. But, but the way uh, Snoke dragged uh, Ray around, I thought was brilliant. It was just really cool. I was, uh, you know, as much as I thought that the fight, the the Ray Ren fight with the red, um, you know, stormtroopers was it was cool. I was curious why there wasn't enough force. Like I, I thought that, you know, particularly Kylo Ren, he's kind of known for using the force a lot within his style, and I it didn't see that. It looked just much more like sort of a weapons fight, and I. I sort of missed a, a little bit of that, um, more of that, I should say. So, but overall, I thought it was great, and I, I thought, you know, to your point, Steve, that it, this is not the movie you think it's going to be. We're going to set up this massive, uh, you know, this emperor figure uh, and the supreme leader figure, and and kill it in the early in the second film of this perceived trilogy. That that is an, a narrative shakeup that is is has carries much more weight to it than uh than I think, you know, JJ to your point, uh, Darth the D- death of Darth Maul. I I didn't see Darth Maul becoming a big character. He was always a henchman, but we killed the supreme leader. The supreme leader is dead. All hail the supreme leader. I thought that was a really nice touch. I will tell you that the merch leading up to the Phantom Menace disagrees with your last statement about him being a henchman, but I but I think the point is fair. Uh, no, I, I I think he was a henchman. I think the, he was a very cool henchman yeah. and a very dynamic henchman and that an easy to, to merchandise, buy. easy to merchandise henchman. And he also, his whole race and his whole family are huge in canon. Uh, and so they're everywhere. They're all uh, around, uh, you know, the, the Star Wars animated series. Uh, they're everywhere. So um, he has long life outside of that first film. I like that you talk about the fact that Finn and Rose didn't feel like they were forced in their casting. I think that's great. Uh, you know, something that we know about The Force Awakens is that there was some really great stunt casting in there. Um, Daniel Craig being one of the stormtroopers. Um, some of our notes have some other ones here. Uh, who is this from? Talking about the Beastie Boys references. So Ryan Johnson, uh, you know, his first big feature was Brick with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And he had a very small part 
just a little short cameo in his second in, in Ryan's second film, Brothers Bloom, and then of course Looper. So I thought, okay, he's sort of his good luck charm. Is there anything? Is did he show up in this film anywhere? I didn't see him, so I I did some research and said, oh yeah, he he was cast he, as a character. He did the voice of a character called Slow and Low. That is the S L O. That's exactly. But what I did not catch was this other Beastie Boys reference in The Force Awakens that there was a character, Hello Nasty. Hello <laughs> Nasty, which I did not know. Yes, exactly. So, but I was wondering if JGL was going to be in here anywhere. I tried to keep my eye out for him, but I know that so much of the stunt casting can be concealed in when you're in a casino or cantina scene that you've got so many creatures that can be voiced by actors. And unless you've got an impeccable ear, it can be often hard to identify those people. So that was sort of the the stunt casting that I found. Well, and of course the, you know, uh, the, the two British princes both apparently appear in here somewhere as well. Really? Yes. They got cut. I heard they got cut. Uh, There was an article uh, there was an article I said, saw and it said, oh, yeah, they were filmed and that scene got cut. And there was somebody else, uh, uh, Tom Hardy, I guess, was also in a scene that, that may have gotten cut. The ones that, that as far as I know, are still in is the, the sort of Gareth Edwards uh, is a resistance French soldier. And so that that was sort of the payback for him casting, I guess, Ryan Johnson in a small part in Rogue One. And I think there was... Um, Justin Thoreau, right? Justin Thoreau, yes, yep. exactly, yes. The as other. the uh, as the the code breaker with the flower on, yeah, his lapel. Yep. So, how did you guys see it? We saw it in 3D, um, which I think was actually great. I thought most of the 3D was really special. the The one thing that I disliked about the 3D was the dirt getting on the lens. I didn't feel like that was particularly uh, a good good thing. It, it 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 just happened too much, and I guess it's not dirt. Maybe it's the salt. I'm not sure what it was, but the, the it happened a lot, and it didn't feel it didn't feel important to me as part of the part of the story. No, I just I just did 2D in Atmos and had a great experience. Uh, oh, I bet Atmos that. would have been great. Yeah, so just yeah, the the great sound. I, you know, 3D. Uh, yeah, you know, it's not something I'm. I go out of my way for unless I know it was intentionally shot that way or usually like computer animation. That's an easy sort of migration over to do that with something that wasn't shot in initially in 3d. I, I don't know that it always adds much. And I often find myself. So it's sort of in the same boat you are where it's like, okay, it's doing this, but I don't. Well, probably three quarters of this is a CG movie. So that's, that's right. True. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, I loved the Atmos experience uh, with this. I just I thought the sound was just rich and booming and uh, fantastic when it was raining on what was the island? Achto, uh, you know, Luke's Island. I mean, just just feeling that ra- rain all around you and the storming and everything. It was just it was a really enveloping experience. I really enjoyed the Atmos. I did not see 3D. I, I, I'm curious to see it in IMAX now because I, I didn't realize this, but they did shoot a couple scenes in IMAX. And um, and so it might make it worth it to go check out an IMAX a screening of it. Very curious about that. I would say that's our only complaint was the sound uh, in, in our theater. I think uh, was it, I don't know. I think we just got a you know, early in the morning. Somebody didn't mix it right. It was it was tough to hear the voices and really struggled through oh, some wow. of the heavy dialogue, heavy sequences. Um, it was just not, not coming out right. Go see Atmos. Yeah. Check out an Atmos. I would have paid for the Atmos experience one. for sure. Yeah. Problem is, it's yeah, such it's a exactly. drive for us. I mean, yeah. it's like it's 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 you know, 
It's a Phoenix oh, scale wow. drive. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So, so Pete, I have a follow up to our discussion this morning during our sat mat discussion. How many times did you cry during this? You film? know, I think I was set up too much. I, I know when I should have cried. I didn't cry once. It's the one that caught me off guard. And you guys let me know if, if this maybe hit you as much as it hit me is when Luke's there with R2 and R2 oh, busts out the cheap shot. holographic projection from the first one. I, um, it, it got me. That one got me. But it, part of it is not just the story, but knowing Carrie is no longer with us um, just made that much so much more for me. And I, I did not expect that one. I was like, Damn, you are too. That is a <laughs> I cried a lot, but most of it was had to do with the music. When the old themes come back, I, I, it, I'm a sucker for that. And you know, when the force theme comes in, I pretty much it just pulls me there. Um, you know, John Williams is just so he's so integral to this franchise, and I'm so glad that he's still a part of what's going on with it. Well, they do a great job of going, you know, bringing the Luke and Leia theme in when they come together, and then when he passes the the dice over to her, it cuts to the 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 um, Leia and Han theme. And it's just like, Oh my God, it's just like all of this stuff. It was so good. Uh, um, what was, I thought most curious in all of the music was at the end of the credits. Uh, they also credit uh, this song that John Williams wrote uh, for uh, Robert Altman's, the long goodbye uh, called the long goodbye that he wrote with Johnny Mercer. They credit that in the, in the credits. I'm like, gosh, was that, did they, did they modify that and have it playing somewhere in the casino or something? Cause I, oh, interesting. I can't figure Must out where, oh, but there, and there was, a, there was another song yeah. that was uh credit. I yeah. can't remember what it was, but I thought that was a really curious little, uh, little thing that was thrown in, uh, into the movie. Now we know it's going to be number one this weekend. How long, how long is it going to last? Do you guys think how, how does this thing have legs? Of course it does. Right. Oh, it's Star Wars. It's it's definitely gonna, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no yeah. doubt. In the my majority mind. of the reviews I've seen have that's... been very, very positive. They're all pretty much spoiler free, so that's why I'm happy we're doing the show tonight because we're here to spoil it for people. But um, but pretty much everything I've seen has been really positive about people's experience in this movie. <laughs> so the the critics are ranking this at like ninety three percent fresh, and. What caught my eye was an article that said fans like Justice League more than Star Wars. What? I was like, "What are you? What are you talking about?" Yes, on Rotten Tomatoes, the fan they have the critics review and then the audience score. And the audience score earlier today was around fifty-seven percent mm. liking it. So, so really low. And I don't know if it's it's they think it's too long. It's not the Star Star Wars they want. Which again, I'm like, you know what? All we heard after Force Awakens was you just did the same thing again. Now we do something different. And now you're, you know, now you're not happy with that. So I mean, you can't please everyone all the time. But I'm surprised there's such a a, a difference between critics at 93 and audience at 57. Well, it's one. interesting. We'll wait till we get to my star rating. But I mean, that's pretty much where I sit on this movie. And a lot of the negativity I have is not that it's different, not that it's a different story, but really that this, the story pieces that they've taken, other than the, the Ren and Ray story in particular, really felt like they were just set up to knock down. And there wasn't a whole lot of payoff in anything but the big force story for me and that the connecting tissue wasn't there for me. So it's interesting. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's where I sat on this movie is right in there i like it but it's not it's not the movie i expected it's not the movie that i wanted are you guys familiar at all with the ring theory as far as with star wars 
No, what's that? The ring theory is this theory. I, I don't know who came up with it, but this idea that the the trilogies are um, like if you flip the trilogies, uh, it's almost like mirror images of each other. And this being a middle film, it very much is very reminiscent of Empire Strikes Back, which is another film where a lot of stuff is set up and not, and nothing comes of it, which I think is pretty interesting. But this one ends with, uh, you know, the, you know, Adats, you know, storming the the rebellion and Empire starts with that. And it has there are so many mirror reflections of these two films together all the way uh, all the way through the film. Um, you know, you've got the mysterious, uh, you know, Ray confronting her dark, the darkness in in that cave. And you have Luke going into the tree. It's like all through it. I found it really interesting. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think the fact that you said that it's it's like, you know, they, they do all these things, but it comes to nothing. It's like it is kind of like Empire. You know, they they, you know, are struggling through that through the entire film, trying to uh, get ahead of the Empire and the Empire. Uh, firmly smacks him down all the way through. So it's it's a pretty interesting um, way to look at the film. But I I uh, I don't know. I I still really like it, and I it's growing on me so much more than than it did after the first viewing. Oh yeah. Well, it's, I mean, Andy. Anytime we have the trilogy, I mean, you take that hero's journey arc, and yes, you've got it on a smaller scale in an individual film, but you spread it across the three you know film sequence. You know, that middle section is that whole, you know, struggle to get to and the growth of the hero to acquire the tools to ultimately defeat, you know, the the antagonist. And that's what all of, you know, story two is about of the struggle and failure that you're going to learn from to to obtain the magical item or the special knowledge. And, yeah, there's not a lot of progress. So to me, like I said, I saw a lot of parallels to Empire, but different enough. But, yeah, I felt felt it was filling that same place in terms of the larger story for the the resistance in each of those characters of, yeah, it may feel like we're treading water, but that's why I wanted to focus on the growth of those characters from where they start when you look at Poe and Finn and where they develop to in the end. So that where we're positioned for story three is a much different and, and more, I think a stronger place for this team. Well, and ultimately Right. The, the second one, Empire would be the toughest film to live up to. If we're talking about these being mirrors, pretty much universally, people look at Empire as the greatest film of the series um, and potentially the greatest film of this genre, you know, over time. So if that's the case, this is going to be the one that's going to be the hardest to live up to. I think they probably have a really nice way to go if they're going to mirror Return of the Jedi and what they do in number nine. I, I don't know. If you guys were to rank it, where would you compare it? Just compare Empire to this movie. What would you say? I'd probably still have to go with Empire, but it's, you know, it's a, I, I think that one it's, it's strong from start to finish. This one, I, I'll always probably still stumble over the, uh, um, the, the casino scene, even though I do see everything that Steve was pointing out about it, I do. It makes perfect sense to me. I, and I I'll probably grow into it a little bit, but I'll still say empire. Well, you've got dozens of views versus one. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the, true. The, I mean, you've seen the empire and you've, you've, you've lived that story. And I think give this one that time. And I think, you know, again, then within the context of this trilogy, when it's finished, I think, you know, this is going to have a strong place. I think it's, to me, it's clear that it's above, you know, Force Awakens because that's the setup. This, to me, is, again, all that that development. So in this trilogy, yeah, this is, you know, top. 
comparing it to Empire. Yeah, that that's a challenge. Ask me five years from now <laughs> after I've had time to view it a few more times and and we'll see where things hold. Well, up. and again, that 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 comparison is probably pretty unfair. So maybe maybe it makes more sense if we go to our flick chart and now would be the time that we would rank it. He's the last Jedi and he gave up the Force, but later on an island he gave it to Rey. Then a bunch of stuff happened and he disappeared. This movie was 9 years long. Flick chart. Christmas and Wham! All right. Love you guys. Bye. Well, that was Tommy Handsome. And, you know, he, he didn't go away for this whole show. He was just having some technical difficulties. So we did get his song there. But if you folks out in the world haven't done it yet, check out www.flickchart.com. It provides a fun way for us to look at the movies that we love and hate too. And you can do it too by creating a tournament style stack ranking system. We go through the exercise here on every show and you can find the special stack rankings for the movies that we've seen on this show at flickchart.com slash TNR film board. Where do we start, Andy? All right, kicking it off. Star Wars, The Last Jedi, or The Finest Hours. Last Jedi. <laughs> Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Last <laughs> Jedi, for sure. Star Wars, The Last Jedi, or Prisoners. Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Last Jedi, or Split. Split. Last Jedi for me. Last, Last Jedi. Jedi. Last Jedi, or Gravity. Gravity. Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Last Jedi, or The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. Ugh. The last, I think Jedi. last Jedi. We'll see. I, I to the point of dozens of views to one view. I mean, I've seen Last Jedi four or five times now, and so I mean, not Last Jedi. I've seen Force Awakens four or five times now, uh, so I'm definitely on a recency high with Last Jedi. But I'm gonna stick with it. I'm saying Force Awakens because uh, of the casino. Because of I the know. casino. Yes. See, to me, it's about the complexity and growth of the characters. No, I agree. I, I'm not. tempted. To, no, no, no. I'm I, really I, I, tempted to yeah, say The Last yeah. Jedi because of the the yeah. hyperspace uh, slice. I mean, yeah, yeah that, that was the dominating feature of the movie. Andy, this must really be hard. <sighs> but then there's Han Solo. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I think, I think we just... should give it to The Last Jedi just to avoid paper, rock, scissors. <laughs> That's okay. my feeling. <laughs> I am fine with that, although I'm still still doubting my decision there. But okay, Last Jedi or Blade Runner 2049. I didn't know you guys made that number one. That's awesome. Blade Runner 2049. I concur with I Pete. See yeah, Blade Runner. Cool. This year is is amazing. And then for me, it was like the trailers were there to prime you for this movie because it was like, Ready Player One, Jurassic. I mean, it was all all of like Spielberg, Lucas, everything just coming at me through these trailers, and then that opening crawl. I was like, okay, I'm I'm in the zone. I'm ready for this. And then to just think that this is hitting this year, like Star Wars going in a new direction. We had Blade Runner 2049. I'm like, I wish I could write a letter back to my teenage self and say, just wait for 2017. You're not going to believe what happens. <laughs> So, Andy, that puts us at number two, right? That puts it at number two. Yes. Uh, I, I I find that really interesting. I'm curious. I'm, I'm pulling up our list of uh, all of our movies from the year just to see. We did really well. Four of our top 10 movies are from this year. We actually made some good choices. But, JJ, remember, all the movies that we've done leading up to this year were terrible. That's true. That's true. <laughs> they were just 
terrible. But that's okay. We have an exciting year coming up too. It's it's good. So uh, star rankings for this. For me on uh, Letterboxd, I give it three out of five stars. And that's why when you said 57% for fan ranking, that sounds exactly where I'm at on this movie. Three stars. Better than uh, Murder on the Orange Express, but just barely. Right now, I'm at a four and a half out of five. Wow, that's uh, Which I think is is pretty good. I it. It would not have. It would have been a three and a half after the first viewing. It's interesting for me how much it changed uh, upon a, a second viewing. I am trying to figure out where it sort of falls compared. I want to say five, but I don't. Yeah, I guess I'm just going to go five because, like I said, I just enjoyed this all out. Yeah, I I'm willing to go with that. Look, thinking of the other films and where it falls in my ranking. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. I I think it's pretty safe to say that this will be the last time that I stop and think so critically about this movie. Um and and I it, it's the same thing with The Force Awakens. Like we talked about it and then I was done thinking really critically about it because it's Star Wars and I genuinely love Star Wars and I am okay saying it's a five star and a heart. Uh, and then letting go because I enjoy the the ride and I enjoy the ships and I enjoy the blowing up of the ships and I enjoy the aliens and the porgs didn't bug me all that much. And the fact that Chewie was eating them was really satisfying. Uh, and, and so I'm I'm OK uh, just letting letting my uh, inner 14 year old drive. And just no, 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 don't do that because it has something very important to say. Because you have to think what Rose says, and it to me, it's this is the Star Wars film that Generation X and our kids need because it's she's telling Finn, Look, it's not about fighting what you hate, it's about saving what you love. And to me, that is the message that so many people need to hear when there's so much anger about the things people hate. Turn that and focus on saving the things that you love. What are the things you want to protect and save and focus on those things instead of lashing out and wasting your energy on the things you hate? If we all did that, we'd have a much better internet experience (laughs) and we'd have a much better world. And so don't, don't shut that out, Pete. Don't no, no, just no. and be... I think you misinterpret, Steve. What I'm what I'm saying is, like, it's a five star because of all the things I love, and that's definitely yes. included in there. But okay, it, but the the piece of it that I'm I'm letting go of is I'm I'm not going to engage in the people who hate the film for the the production and narrative issues. I'm going to love it for the reasons that I love it, and I'm okay with that. Because you're going to save what you love about Star Wars instead yeah. of fighting against the haters. Great. Yeah. Yeah, All I right. think we're, uh, I violent st- agreement, st- Steve. As usual, st- you and I are in I, violent agreement. I stand arm arm in arm with you. There we go. We'll face this ourselves. <laughs> and all four of us, Fantastic. I think, liked it. So that's a good thing. We got hearts all around from us for liking it, even though I, I seem to be a, a little bit negative about this. I, I definitely have it on the positive side for me, too. Can we just can I just say one more thing in terms of final comments? Please, I, I can we just reflect on the fact that Mark Hamill is – straight up star like he is fantastic to watch every single scene he was in i was just delighted uh with him and and so here shout out to stinking mark hamill he is he is great totally worth having him in the last movie for only about 15 seconds do you want do you want my hater comment on him or no should we just let that go and embrace what we love (laughs) 
Hate it. Count every time. Count every time that they cut to him midway between a head nod down. They do it a lot. He he constantly <laughs> is just looking intently, and his head moves down, and he's caught midway in it. it. Also, in his 15 seconds in the last film, they went back to it about three different times too. But anyway, but yeah, that's no, not I, about him as a performer. That's about the choices of what they were doing with the way they shot him. Totally. And, you know, how many takes did they use? Exactly. That kind of thing. But still, I, I think he's a delight, too. I did get tired of some of the redundancy of his of what he was doing there. But I I, I was really happy with him. And I, I hope he's not gone, to be honest. I hope he didn't just give himself over to the force. We're going to see his force ghost for a while, I think. Yeah. Yeah. See, counterbalance. There's balance to the force. It's a good thing. Uh, so where do we go from here next year? Brand new year, 2018. We're starting with the film board with Molly's Game. That's Jessica Chastain coming in about gambling. That's the way I understand it. it I, I think it's kind of an Oscar push. What do you guys know about that film? I know that it's Aaron Sorkin based on a true story, based on the novel or you know biography uh, by Molly Bloom. And it's interesting because in the book, she names names. They change those for the movie because she name drops a lot of people. In her book, uh, and it's really interesting. And I think she's an interesting character. And I, I, there's choices that were made for the film that I think redeemed the story that were not present in her book. As far as framing structure, the whole Idris Elba character, I think, is not in the book from what the first half of it that I read. So I'm very intrigued with what Aaron Sorkin is is going to do with this story. It's it's uh, going to greatly exceed the quality of the book. I well, believe. and that uh, Aaron Sorkin, I'm excited to see that it opens January 5th. So catch us on the weekend following that. How about uh, the, the mothership show TNR first six months. What are you guys excited about? I'm excited about the diehard series. The whole thing. I think that's been a long time coming. Oh yeah. We'll see how excited everybody is after we get to know. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the way, when does that series start by the way? That's our. Uh, we kicked that off with our Christmas episode. So it's actually. coming up soon. That's uh, great. It's going to be starting uh, yeah, in a couple weeks. Holy cow! It has been a crazy and trying year everywhere out there. But I always love coming back and talking about movies with you guys. Thank you all so very much. We don't have Tommy with us, but thank you and good night, Steve Sarmento. Uh, have a good night, good night, gents. Andy Nelson. May the force be with you always. See you real soon, Pete. Right? Yeah. May the force be. Oh, never mind. You say it. <laughs> <laughs> And thank you so much for listening to us go on and on and on on the film board. We appreciate you so much. Go and find and follow us over on Facebook and Twitter. And please join up as a patron on patreon.com at slash the next reel. If that's not your jam, consider giving us a rating and a review on iTunes. But most of all, go tell your movie pals to check in with us at the next reel. Because when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Have a happy holiday season and keep your chin up and your eyes forward. Till next. Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, 
biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 